The following message is by Dr. Matt Thornton, pastor of North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. God created us as social beings, people that need relationships, people that need one another, uh, that thrive together. You probably heard the phrase, no man is an island. We need other people. And we even have this innate desire to be uh, part of a community. That's why you like being with your friends. That's why you like being with your family and other people. That's why we have so many different organizations you can join. Baseball teams, uh, clubs at school, bands, whatever it may be. People were created to be together. And I want you to think about this, that since God created us with that longing for community, wouldn't it stand to reason that he would also create some of the best outlets for that community and that fellowship with one another to be met? That's one reason why God created male and female and instituted marriage and families. That's a biblical outlet for community. One major problem in our world today is that we don't even know what that means anymore. People argue over what male and female is now. That's a whole other sermon. If we fast forward to the New Testament, another biblical outlet for that togetherness in that community is the fellowship that believers have with one another, especially the fellowship within a true New Testament church. Jesus started his church during his personal ministry, and a church is a community, right? It's not this building. It's people. It's a local assembly of scripturally saved and baptized believers who can learn together, worship together, love one another, help one another, obey the commands of God together. And this morning's text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 reminds us of one of the most crucial reasons we need each other. And maybe we could even think about it this way. It reminds us of some of the most crucial times when we need each other, and that's when we suffer. Especially when someone's suffering because they're a Christian, then our need for each other is just amplified even more. If we pull a little bit from last week's sermon in the end of chapter 2, since people matter most, then we should be concerned for one another, especially those who are suffering. And we should do what we can to strengthen them, even if it requires some personal sacrifice from ourselves. We'll see this morning, that's exactly what Paul did for the Thessalonians. So let's read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. Paul writes, uh, writes, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear... We thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it has come to pass. And ye know for this cause when I could no longer forbear I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. 
it's sort of funny that the chapter begins with a conclusion, right? The word wherefore or therefore is what starts this chapter. That's not an introduction word. It's a conclusion word, right? But we've got to remember that chapter and verse divisions in the Bible were not inspired. Uh, men added those later on just to help us locate and categorize and organize passages. It's a good thing we have them. But don't get caught up and, and, and get upset because we have a big number three here that starts with the conclusion. The context is not different. It just means we've got to back up to chapter 2 and remember what Paul just wrote. And he had just explained his great desire to return to the city of Thessalonica and be with these believers again. But he wasn't able to return because somehow Satan hindered him. And so he says in chapter 3, Therefore, when I could no longer forbear it, or when we could no longer forbear it. The word forbear is a neat word. It means to endure or to bear with something, but it's actually related to the word for roof, which is a covering over something. And that kind of gives an interesting picture here. Paul isn't saying that he grew tired of covering up his feelings for the Thessalonians or something like that. He'd been very honest about how he felt about them. He loved them. He wanted to be with them. But have you ever made a, a pot of tea in a tea kettle and you put the fire under it and that covering stays over the tea kettle for a minute, but then the steam builds and builds and then what happens to that covering? Well, there we go. <laughs> the covering is lifted and the microphone breaks, right? That's the idea of this word here. Paul, Paul couldn't keep the cover over it anymore. He couldn't, we would say in Arkansas language, he couldn't stand it anymore. And so there came this point in time, not too long after he left the city, I don't believe, that he couldn't stand anymore not knowing about the Thessalonians and not knowing how they were doing and what was going on. Because if you remember when they left the city, the unbelieving Jews who were persecuting those young Christians were so hateful that they followed Paul to the next city and kept persecuting him. And so... What are those people going to do to the Thessalonian believers once Paul's gone? So Paul's so concerned for them, but he's not able to return. Somehow Satan hindered him. And he couldn't pick up the phone. He couldn't send a text or an email or check Facebook or Instagram or all the thousand other uh, you know, social media outlets that we have today. If you wanted to know about someone, you had to visit them or send someone else to visit them. And so the next best thing was to send Timothy. Even though that meant he would be all alone in Athens. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 17 for just a minute. I'm going to try to kind of understand the travels of these men at this point. We won't spend uh, forever here, but just a little bit to kind of understand the setting of what's going on. I've mentioned before that some people suggest Timothy stayed in Philippi when Paul and Silas went to Thessalonica. Um, it's a suggestion. We don't know for sure. But that might explain why Timothy is able to return to Thessalonica. Maybe the unbelieving Jews and those city officials didn't know Timothy yet. Maybe that's why he could visit the city without what we would say raising red flags. It makes sense, but it's just an educated guess. But for sure, all three of these men met back together in, in Berea for sure. Look at Acts 17, verse 13 through 15. 
Luke writes, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were to the sea. But Silas and Timothy abode there still. So they're all three in Berea together. Paul is sent along to Athens. Verse 15 says, And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timothy for to come to him with all speed, they departed. So either Timothy met up with them in Berea, or he was with them the whole time in Thessalonica. That's, that's possible. But when Paul left for Athens, Silas and Timothy stayed behind in Macedonia. Paul sends word for them to come with him and come along as soon as they can. And that's where some of the travels get even trickier. Luke actually never records that Silas and Timothy made it to Athens. You can read the rest of the chapter here, and he never mentions that. But if you look down at verse, uh, chapter 18, excuse me, the next time these men meet together, at least that we're told, is in the city of Corinth. Chapter 18 says, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. And if you look down in verse 5, we read, And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. So Silas and Timothy finally rejoined Paul in Corinth, and it's likely in Corinth where Paul writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians. There's at least two ways to sort of harmonize maybe what happened in the interim here. Number one, maybe Paul and Silas never made it to Athens. That's possible. But somehow Paul got word back to them for Timothy to go back to the Thessalonians and check on them, even though it meant Paul would remain in Athens alone. The other option is that Paul and Silas actually did make it to Athens. Luke just didn't record it because Paul sent them back to Macedonia to check on other people, uh, Timothy going specifically to Thessalonica. That's possible too. Either way, it leaves Paul alone in Athens, that great city, to try and uh, evangelize that city all by himself while Timothy checks on the Thessalonians and Silas is in Macedonia as well. The strict itinerary is not the most important thing or we would know it from Scripture there's no question about the major points, though, is that these men, especially Paul, they cared so much for the Thessalonian believers that they would sacrifice on their own behalf to check on them, especially Paul. And this proves, again, his sincerity and his love for these people. And if you think about sending Timothy back, sending Timothy was not sending some flunky who didn't matter. I send Timothy. I can do without him. He's not that big a deal. Timothy was not expendable to Paul. He loved Timothy. He was a major help. Notice how he's described at the verse, uh, in verse 2, back in 1 Thessalonians 3. He sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Sending Timothy was sending an important, important man. Someone that Paul could trust, someone that the Thessalonians could trust. This sort of amazes me about Paul here because especially when we think about our desire, our, when we think about our desire and need to be with others, to have help and those sorts of things, it's amazing to me that Paul would give up that desire so that Timothy could be with the Thessalonians. Paul was willing to be alone so that the Thessalonians were not. 
That's sacrificially loving these people and trying to strengthen them. And so he sends Timothy. And part of his mission is definitely to check on them. If you look in verse 5, he mentions, I sent to know your faith. So part of it is fact-finding, but that's not it. That's not all of it anyway. Timothy's not like the spies that the Israelites sent out into the promised land to check on things before they tried to conquer Canaan. If you look at the end of verse 2, Timothy has a more important mission than just to check on him. He says in the, at the end of chapter 2, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Don't overlook that little phrase, concerning your faith. Because even though the Thessalonians were suffering persecution, and that obviously entails physical pain, stress, anxiety, all those sorts of things, Paul's main concern was for their spiritual state. I sent Timothy to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. And so Timothy was sent to establish them. And this word for establish, or your translation may say strengthen, it's a really strong word. It's a great word that, that means to support something, to make it firm, to make it fixed so that it stands upright and that it's not shakable, it's not movable. It was used in, in the ancient Greek language of inanimate things that appeared to be supported like a rainbow. You ever seen a rainbow in the sky just fall down because it wasn't supported? That'd be kind of weird. We'd be like Chicken Little then, right? The rainbow just appears firm. There's nothing there, but it's supported somehow. It's strong. And that's the idea of this word is that I want you supported. Sometimes this word was used in the medical field in the ancient world when pain in someone's body would advance and grow stronger and stronger. So there's the idea of that, that strengthening, not in pain, but just the, the growingness of that. And so when it was applied to people, it just meant that they grew stronger, that they were more committed, they remained steadfast and were determined. It probably shouldn't surprise us that this word was used to describe Jesus. Luke records that when Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, knowing that he would die, he grew stronger. He was more determined. He was more firm. Not that he ever was less firm, but you understand the determination and the resolve that Jesus had. And now for these, these believers, Paul said, I wanted Timothy to strengthen you. It makes so much sense when we understand the story and how Paul had to leave the city quicker than he would have liked. And how would these young Christians handle being persecuted? How would they handle being alone? So Timothy's sent to strengthen them, but he's also sent to comfort them concerning their faith. And this, this word comfort's a common word in the New Testament. You've, you've probably heard of it before the idea of someone coming up alongside of you and putting their arm around you for comfort, for encouragement, or maybe putting their arm sort of up under you for some guidance and some exhortation and help. And that's this word. It's the same word that Jesus used when he described the Holy Spirit, or, uh, the Holy Spirit as the comforter. It comes from that same word. Here the idea is not so much comfort in the sense of consoling someone, 
One author wrote, Timothy's task was not to soothe them in their sorrow, but to fit them for battle concerning their faith. It's sort of the difference of, uh, Timothy's not sent just to feel sorry for them and pat them on the back and give them a blanket and a cup of hot chocolate and say, it's going to be okay. Now, sometimes that sympathy's needed. Like, we like that. Hot chocolate's good, right? We need blankets sometimes. That type of sympathy has its place, but here the idea is probably more of encouragement and exhortation. The afflictions that they were facing did not need to discourage them. They did not need to give up. They did not need to start doubting their faith or doubting God. They needed the encouragement and the guidance to remain faithful. And verse 3 really tells us that. It gives us the reason that Timothy was sent to strengthen and comfort them. He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions. How many of you have a dog? This is the only time in the New Testament this word moved was used. Your translation may say unsettled or disturbed. And it literally means to wag back and forth. If you've ever seen a dog get excited and that tail just goes nuts and almost moves the whole dog. That's the idea of this word. I don't want you wagging around like an animal. Don't be disturbed, shaken back and forth, not knowing what to do. Don't be shaken. Don't let these afflictions shake you. But let's be honest. We can see why it would. I mean, if we put ourselves in their shoes, these are, these are young Christians in the faith. Paul is gone. They don't have the completed Bible yet. The New Testament's just being written, and they're already suffering just because they believe in Jesus? Timothy, you've got to go back and strengthen them. They cannot wag back and forth because of these afflictions. They've got to be firm. But if you look at the end of verse 3, Paul actually says, you yourselves, you know that we're appointed thereunto. You knew this was going to happen. In an ironic way, the, affliction, the afflictions should actually increase their faith. Because they already knew they were coming. Paul said, you, you know we're appointed thereunto. The word appointed literally means to set something down or to recline or to lay it down. And so the idea is that sufferings have been laid down. That's going to be part of Christian life. Think about that. I know that flies in the face of what we call the prosperity gospel. And some very famous preachers who have sold a lot of books and sold a lot of tickets to promise you physical success if you believe in Jesus and God loves you so much he wants you to be rich and have your wildest dreams met. The Bible never says that. The Bible is clear that suffering is a part of Christian life. Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In Acts 14, Luke wrote, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. James said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Paul wrote to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Those are just a few verses in the Bible that point to persecution and suffering and all those things. There's so many more we could bring up. But Paul told these believers, you already knew that. In verse 4, he said, I was teaching you that. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it has come to pass, and ye know. So the fact that they actually were suffering and it did come to pass in an ironic way, instead of weakening their faith, it actually should have strengthened their faith. It proved that Paul knew what he was talking about, gave them even more reason to, uh, to believe Paul's words. Do you remember what one of the marks of a true prophet was in the Old Testament? If the prophet says something's going to happen and it does, there you go. If he says something's going to happen and it doesn't, you don't have to worry about him. He's a false prophet. And Paul said, we're going to suffer. Well, here comes sufferings. So what does that say about Paul? He's a true prophet. He knows what he's talking about. Gives you even more reason to believe Jesus did the same thing. The night he was betrayed, he told the apostles, I've told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you might believe. Paul was not surprised by their afflictions. They really shouldn't have been surprised either, but Paul was concerned about how they would respond to them. And so you look in verse 5 again, and he said, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, okay, couldn't keep the lid on it anymore, couldn't stand it. I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. In verse 5 here, we're reminded again of that spiritual battle that we talked about last week. We know from Scripture that God's desire and design for these sufferings in our life is for our ultimate benefit. Good things can happen because of suffering. This world even knows that. God wants to use suffering to grow us, to mature us, um, to produce what's lacking in our faith, to perfect his power in our weakness, to refine us and make us better servants and so forth. Paul knew that. But Paul also knew that Satan, the tempter, would love to use those same sufferings to crush people. There's that battle. God wants to use them for your good. Satan wants to use them for your detriment. Satan wanted to crush these people, to create doubts in their minds, to question whether God truly loved them. If God truly loves us, then why is he letting this th these things happen? When suffering comes into your life, the devil wants to shake you. God wants to make you. And Paul knew that, and he knew these people would need help. Paul didn't want the tempter shaking the Thessalonians in their faith. And he says, in our labor being in vain. They poured themselves into these people, into this city, and he didn't want their labor being empty or being fruitless. He wanted them to remain steadfast. A couple weeks ago, Brother Doug preached the parable of the soils or different names for that certain parable. 
And Jesus, when he interpreted the parable of the, the people who heard the gospel, but it was rocky soil, their heart was stony ground, it, it, they received it quickly and sprung up, but then when tribulation came, they fell away. Jesus said, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Paul did not want the Thessalonians being those kinds of people. They received the word joyfully. We know that. He didn't want them falling away and saying, well, it's not worth it if we're going to suffer. He didn't want them being those kinds of people. And so he sacrificially sent Timothy to help them. At that time, Paul would have rather someone else benefit from Timothy's presence than Timothy helping him. That's a lot of sacrifice to help someone else. These verses remind us of our need for other people, of how God did create us with that desire for community and, that, uh, and the relationships and fellowships. And that's all the more evident when we suffer. You know when you're going through a tough time and a trying time, it just sort of amplifies your need for other people. We need others. And like a coin, there's two sides to this application about believers being concerned for others and, and needing each other. So on the one hand from these verses, think about the application from the Thessalonians. We need to realize that it's okay to be helped by other people. And God can actually use other people to help us when we're suffering. That's what Timothy did for the Thessalonians. That's what Paul did for them by sending Timothy. No man is an island. God didn't create us that way. One of the best outlets for that is a church. A fellowship of believers who can benefit from one another, who can help one another. Be thankful for the encouragement and the support and the love here at North Bryant that you have from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Value it and allow God to use others for your benefit and for your help. That's not, that's not wrong of you. Sometimes it's tough, right? Sometimes it's tough to, to let someone else help you. Maybe that's exactly what God's wanting to do. God can use other believers to strengthen your faith when you're down. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As this world grows darker, and even our own country grows increasingly anti-Christian, we're going, growing closer and closer each day to the return of the Lord. Listen, we're going to need each other even more every day. Every day. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. It's not going to get easier to be a Christian. 
It's going to continually get tougher, even in our great country. We've seen that the last 5, 10, 15 years, how things have changed so quickly. You're going to need each other for strength. The other side of the coin is the application from Paul and, and Timothy is that we need to be concerned for the lives of other people especially our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we need to be willing to make sacrifices to help strengthen their faith when they're down and when they're hurting. When someone faces a trial, it actually gives you an opportunity to help them. It gives you a chance to show them they're not alone, to love them, to teach them, to help them, especially when people suffer for their faith. They need that even more. Satan would love to use sufferings to tempt people to fall away, but let's allow God to use us to strengthen and encourage people who are suffering because people matter most. Sacrificing for the benefit of someone else. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what God did for us? God loved us so much he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, for our ultimate benefit. So let's be thankful that God didn't look at our suffering and just give a glance and a shrug and say, oh, well. He sacrificially did something about it. So if you're here this morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I can't urge you enough to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus let him give you eternal life. Let him forgive you of your sins. Let him help you. He's the only one who can. If you do that, I can't promise you that you'll have a great, easy life. But I can promise you that suffering is not the end. I can promise you that we're in this together. And I can promise you that God will never forsake you. Let's stand. Let's have a word of prayer as we prepare for an invitation. Father, once more, we're so thankful to be here this morning. God, I pray that we'll learn from these verses to let others help us when we need it, but also look to help others who need it, especially when we suffer for our faith, Lord. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I do pray that if there's someone lost, that they would be saved this morning. I pray that each one of us would, would just strengthen others and look to you ultimately, Lord, to strengthen and comfort us. Be with us as we live. Help us to be good witnesses, Lord, and good servants for you. Thank you so much for all the good things you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.